Welcome back to the program. We often hear career counselors and teachers talking to young people about following their passion. Obviously good advice, but for some that passion comes with a price. For esteemed war correspondent Marie Colvin, that passion, her desire to bear witness to the horrors of war, would cost her her life. The same is true for British reporter and photographer Paul Conroy. He was with Colvin in Syria in early 2012 when they would come under fire in the city of Homs. A rocket would kill Colvin and seriously wound Conroy. As Syrian ground forces closed in on his position, Conroy was forced to make a terrifying last-ditch attempt to escape from a regime that appeared determined to murder him. He did escape, and now he's written his story and that of Marie Colvin in his book, Under the Wire. It is my pleasure to welcome Paul Conroy to this program to talk about Under the Wire, Marie Colvin's final assignment, Paul Conroy, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thanks. It's a real pleasure to be on. Thanks, Jeff. Great to have you here. Give us a sense of what it was like in Syria in early 2012. Um, we, we crossed in, um, in February 2012. Um, the situation we'd seen, we'd seen a lot of YouTube and the, of the bombardments, but it, it was only when we actually entered Syria that you got a true sense of the enormity of what was happening, um, we, we crossed illegally into Syria from Lebanon with smugglers at night. And the moment we, we set foot on Syria, so we were essentially behind enemy lines, there, there were troops within. We were never more than half a kilometer from um, some of the regime forces. Um, and it took us five days, if you give you an example, it took five days to cross approximately 30 kilometers of territory. We had to drive through fields and ditches in, on motorbikes and trucks, any form of transport. Um, it was it, the, the country was in lockdown, and we were aiming to get to the, the heart of the so-called heart of the revolution, which was um, a town called Homs, and that we were assured we would not get to because the, the, the um, security forces were so intent on stopping people getting in or people getting out. So it was a, a true um, a true sense of um, tension every, every single step of the way. We didn't know what was around the next corner. And you certainly knew what the dangers were going in. And in fact, you talk about your editors in London really were pretty reluctant about you even doing this. We we initially we did get in once. Um, uh, that was through a tunnel, and 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 we were we were evacuated by the Free Syrian Army. They just said that the land forces are coming in this evening, and they'll take no prisoners. So get out. So we, we, we had no choice, really. The Free Syrian Army essentially got us out of there. And we waited two days, and the, the invasion never happened. So we really didn't tell the editors that we were going back in the second time. We just made um, an on-the-ground decision that um, there was still a story to tell. Um, so, we, so we went back in. We, they only found out when we were back in Homs. It's a bit naughty. Talk a little bit about Marie. Give us a little picture of who Marie Colvin was. Well, I mean, her reputation preceded her everywhere she went. Um, my my first meeting with her really um, typified Marie. I'd, I'd attempted to build a boat. Um, I was in Syria 10, 11 years ago before the last Gulf War and was trying to get into Iraq. So I made a raft out of lorry and the tubes and attempted, but was captured and kept for a few days. And then... In the bar that night when I was released, Marie strode in with her eye patch and her brown leather jacket and just looked around the bar and said, who and where is the boatman? And she came up, stuck out her hand and said, boatman, I love your style. And and that was it. That 
for, for Marie, that was fantastic. The, the concept of building the boat and going in illegally, you know, embodied what she was about. Nothing would stop her getting this story. Um, she was tenacious, the most tenacious journalist I've ever met. But also, with that, she had a fantastic sense of humour, which really helped her along in, in getting these stories that others found it virtually impossible to get. She could get them with a combination of humour, um, you know, daring do, and just sense of that. Once she got her teeth into a story, that was her story. You know, she would she would really make that her own and stick with it till, till the very end. But, you know, um, a more honest and tenacious, brave and quirky and humorous character I've never met. And it wasn't just about the journalism itself, although that was a big part of it. There was also this this desire to bear witness, as you talk about it, to the horrors of war and to tell the story of war as a war correspondent. Talk about that. Well, that's right. I mean, the war is a, you know, it's a, a very multifaceted thing. There are, there are those who are very good at the ge- geopolitical aspects of war and, you know, the, the uh, 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 overview. Um, and there, there are those such as Marie and, and myself who really see war from a different level. We, we tend to look at the lowest common denominator in these wars. And these are the, the innocent victims, the women, the children, the elderly, who really very rarely have a voice and unless people go in and witness war at that level um, these despots, dictators tend, you know they, they they don't want people looking at, at what happens to them people so the bear and witness angle was was really to see war from the, the, the real victims of war which, is, which are the women and the children and to document for history and humanity, what these people will do to to the, to the innocent. That was that was very much Marie's um, idea of bear and witness. It was to you know to actually prevent and to help the people who, who bear the brunt of most of these conflicts. You mentioned her eye patch, which was also from an injury she sustained covering another war. That's right. She was um, in Sri Lanka when that was happening. She was she was leading a group of. Um, civilians really through enemy lines and um, they were ambushed by the by the uh, patrol of the army and when when she waved her pa- um, press card up and said press um, immediately one of the soldiers opened fire with um, a rocket propelled grenade which exploded just in front of her and um, and took her eye out um, it, it didn't take her eye out it blinded her and she kept the eye but I think then um, her eye patch, you know, she, she was quite proud of her eye patch. You know, that gave her that an identity that um, people, you know, it, it really did work in various war zones that we worked together, and people that always remember Marie because of her eye patch. So she 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 made the most of it. She quite enjoyed the swashbuckling um, pirate look. What about fear? To what degree did she sense fear in some of these war zones, and how did she deal with that? Um, oh, I mean, I think you know we we, we all feel that fear. Um, I was I was used to um, Marie's when when we got the fear, and anyone who says they don't feel that in a in a war zone, I think it should get out of a war zone. Um, the fear is there for a reason, and that's to keep you awake and on your toes. Marie tended to go quite quiet when she was um, when she was frightened. 
um, she'd go quiet. And that was one where that was I knew that you know that the the fear was present. And we used to look after each other in them situations. You know, I'd, I'd deliberately I'd notice that she'd gone quiet and tended to stare ahead. So when I saw that happening, I knew she was scared. And we we tend to um, perk each other up, you know, crack a few crack a few jokes, and that's where the the, the black humour came in. Um, and you know, it only took a little joke to bring someone back. But it was the fear was just something you have to put a lid on. Really, you know, it's there, and you know, you just cannot let it overwhelm you because the mo- the moment it overwhelms you, then you're you're not good for anything. You won't be able to function or make bad decisions. So we that we kept each other you know, away from that um, level where it would overflow and, and, and become dangerous. What about your own sense of fear? How did you learn to deal with it? Um, I, I can remember the first time I, I came under fire um, in any serious way. And it was just a sense of, I mean, we've all seen the war films, we've all seen what we think war is like. But nothing quite prepares you for the, for the actual chaos of it. Nobody behaves as you would expect them to behave. You know, soldiers don't behave that, as you'd imagine. Journalists don't. Drivers. Everybody behaves differently. And I just, for the first few times, I just thought, my God, this is insane. How, how are you meant to work, take photographs in these conditions? And I guess after a few times, I realized that the next time it happened, I would have maybe... 10, 15 seconds to actually work with him. And so I think I, I overcame the fear in the knowledge that, you know, I, I'll maybe wait all day to take a photograph. And when the time comes, I'll have 15 seconds maximum to actually get that shot. So I would override it with the with the need to look, to do the job, to look at the photographs, to try and capture the situation and and t- snap it all in that intense 15, 20 seconds. Um, that's was really what oh, I used to override the fear in, in an actual firefight or a bombardment. I just think, work now and, and be scared later. Talk a little bit about the point of view that Marie brought to some of her war coverage and the degree to which some of it was objective and some of it was infused by her attitudes and her views of the world. I think I think it's almost uh, you know it's very difficult to se- separate the two. Um, she'd been been through enough complex conflicts and and seen enough of, of what happens and what you know to to have very strong views about it. Um, and I guess it all depended on on the situation we were reporting from. The the, the last place in Homs, her, her, her pieces were purely you know. Uh, a scream for humanity. Um, it's the in Baba Amrin Homs that's the place that lost its humanity, and that's really, I think, her strongest re- report ever was the last report she filed for the Sunday Times, and that was about the um, the widow's basement in Homs, which was pure a shout to the world to to wake up, and you know the fact that they are just slaughtering women and children. Whereas then she could be very, you know, you go back in time and you, you look at the situation with Yasser Arafat, the PLO, the Middle East. Very, they were very sharp, insightful pieces. And I think that was the, um, that was her genius, really. She could step back and, and take an overview or she could really get very involved in the humanity level. Um, and, you know, that is why we decided to transmit 
um, from Baba Amra live um, the day before Marie was killed because we actually had both decided we weren't going to be alive to file for the paper by Friday. Mm. And this was a Tuesday, so we made the conscious decision to go live um, using satellites and transmit from Baba Amra. Um, and th and that was it. We did that, and six hours later, Mar Marie was dead. She, but I think them final reports were their most impassioned um, piece of work she ever did, you know, and it, it cost her, her life. How did she view some of the players in the region who she had gotten to know over a long period of reporting in the area, people like Gaddafi and Yasser Arafat? Yeah, um, I think she had a very strange relationship with with them. Um, with Gaddafi, he always credits Marie with telling her that the um, the Americans were about to strike Libya, and because of that, he—I mean, she she met him in a strange way. She she didn't know the protocol for meeting Gaddafi, so she essentially went knocking on his door, you know, the palace door, and I wanted an interview. He, for whatever reason, granted it, and so yeah, it was a very um, very strange relationship. I think he had the, the hot for it in some way. He he sent a nurse around one night with a. <laughs> A huge syringe to take her blood because he thought she wasn't well. Um, and it, that, you know, given that relationship they had over the years, it was um, it was very strange being with Marie when we finally were stood over the body of Gaddafi. I think you know that was someone she'd known for nearly 25 years on and off. And I always remember walking when we when they captured and killed Gaddafi. We, we were the f some of the first journalists to to go and see his body. And that was, there was a kind of strange atmosphere there. It was someone she'd known. It obviously caused so much um, trauma to his own people and a very, just an odd moment. And I, I think, I wasn't there when um, when um, Arafat died, but I think, you know, you build relationships with these people as journalists and they may be, you know, some of the nastiest people going, but then relationships and, and necessary evils in, in many ways. But she was very good at, at dealing, you know, with the, the smallest young baby refugee up to world leaders. That was her skill. She was she had the full gamut of skills to deal with from the top to the bottom and, and, and have an insight into that and to empathize. Um, and I think that's really such a great set of skills. I'm not sure many people have that set of skills. She wore these pearls for a long time that, that Arafat had given her as a gift. <laughs> the Arafat pearls. Yeah, I mean, she loves pearls, and I think um, Arafat had found this out. They, they, they had quite a close relationship in many ways. You know, he trusted her. Um, and I, I, I think that was it. There was, there was trust. You know, she would never... Um, if she got an interview and she did the interview, what you know, what what came out of it wasn't an interpretation. It was it was you know pretty much these these are the facts. That that's why she got the trust. Um, and so yeah, he presented her with a set of pearls that on occasion she travelled with. It never took them everywhere, but um, yeah, they were. Um, I used to laugh when she mm -hmm. put Arafat pearls on at smart dudes. But um, she thought it was a really funny thing. You talk about all the war correspondents that she inspired over the years. Who were her heroes? Who were the people that she looked up to? Oh, I think without without doubt it was um, you know Martha Gellhorn was the the um, I 
an idol. If, if I was to say she had an idol, Martha was Martha was certainly it. Um, you know, yeah, I think you can see that reflected in her writing, her writing style. Um, you know, she she'll go where many many of her male counterparts fear to tread, really. Um, and I think every time she was compared to Martha Gohan, there was a little there was a little twinkle there that made her yeah made her proud. You know, she was being compared to a hero and. And and you know that was that was nice for her because um, you know she was just seen as this um, you know gunko journalist, but she had a, a very gentle, soft, loving side that many people didn't see, and a soft side that many many never saw. And to, you know to see her smile and you know she won all the awards going, but when people used to compare her to Martha, that was I think that was actually her proudest moment. Paul Conroy. The book is Under the Wire, Marie Colvin's final assignment. Paul, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Oh, no, it's been an absolute pleasure, and, you know, really, thanks so much for having us on. It's been, it's been lovely. Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back.